Hello and welcome to the RI Science Podcast. This is the latest episode of our mini-series where we interview PhD students to find out more about what they research and how they ended up doing a PhD in the first place. I'm Charlotte Collingwood, and when I'm not working on my own PhD in computational neuroscience, I'm an intern with the digital team at the RI. I've managed to convince five of my friends to join me in the studio to tell me more about what they do as PhD students. Please do leave this episode a rating and a review to let us know what you think and help more people discover the podcast. In today's episode, we're discussing marine science. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I would love to. So I'm Jess. I'm a second year PhD student. I'm going into my third year, which is a little bit scary. Uh, I study the impacts of plastic pollution on manta rays in the ocean. Um, And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. That's so interesting. So why do you study manta rays out of all the possible fishes? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, so manta rays are really uh, fascinating species. uh, They're really charismatic. You can imagine yourself going on a honeymoon and swim with manta rays. So they're really important for tourism um, and they aggregate in really predictable areas. So they're easy to spot. They don't really avoid humans. uh, But that also means that they are very vulnerable to fishing and they're actually listed as vulnerable to extinction. Uh, So they are a very important species to protect anyway. Um, And they are at risk of plastic pollution, so they can entangle in fishing gear, for example. Uh, And it's it's recently been shown that they also do ingest microplastics, which are small plastic particles of under five millimetres. And uh, microplastic is the same size as the prey that they feed on. So yeah, they do ingest all that. And it's not really known actually what the impacts um, of that could be on the manta ray. So you mentioned microplastics. How do microplastics even get into our oceans? Yeah, so it's it's actually been estimated that there's over 5 trillion plastic particles in the ocean and they come from lots of different places. Uh, microplastics could come um, as as they are from things like cosmetics. So if you think uh, in face scrubs, you, you have little beads. Uh, they're sometimes made out of plastic or even um, anything that's made out of plastic comes from pellets, which uh, can leak into the ocean. And... Plastic comes into the ocean via rivers uh, or via ships. Uh, There's lots of different ways it can end up in the ocean. And microplastics can also happen because of the breakdown of larger pieces of plastic. So if you think of a plastic bottle, for example, through wave action, through um, sunlight, it degrades into smaller and smaller pieces of plastic, which then stay in the environment. And how do you actually measure the impact that those plastics have? So it's it's quite difficult and plastic studies have lots of different methods. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to, to compare them and understand the wider picture. But the way I'm doing it is I'm starting from a global scale and doing a bit of an overlap analysis between the species distribution of manta rays and then uh, global plastic maps that are obtained from models. Um, and then I would overlap that to try and estimate the risk, compare regions, for example, of where which regions have more risk. Um, and then I want to be able to link the exposure to microplastics uh, to the actual impact and risk. And that's the more difficult bit because you have to zoom in onto a specific region and then you have to see if there is actually plastic in the water, see if there's any evidence of uh, an animal ingesting it. And then have uh, on these big charismatic species, it's more difficult to obtain samples of like their skin, for example, or stomach content. Whereas if you're uh, studying animals that are used in fisheries, for example, you could have a byproduct of looking at their stomachs to see if they do ingest plastic, which is a lot harder to do um, for my my species of focus. <laughs> yeah. 
for you as a PhD student, how many of those like steps do you get to do yourself? So I I am analyzing data that already exists uh, for some aspects of it, but then I also go and collect my own data and analyze it in the lab. So that's a really exciting bit, um, which I really enjoy. Yeah. So when you say you get to go out and collect some bits for yourself, does that mean going out to beaches? Yes. So I do. I've I've done um, one field trip uh, to collect my own data, and during that field trip, we uh, collected plastic bottles on beaches to have a look at their brands and at their uh, countries of origins and the dates they were manufactured to get a bigger picture of, like you were asking earlier, of how um, the plastic has got there in the first place, um, where it comes from, and potentially see if we can mitigate that um, further down the line. Uh, and then I've also collected some water samples that I'm going to be looking at in the lab um, just to see how much microplastic there is in there. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish <laughs> I could do that in my PhD. It was very fun. <laughs> um, okay, so outside of your field trips, like what does a day-to-day life in the lab look like for you? Yeah, so I, um, f- so first of all, collecting the data, I would say probably only takes about 20% of my time. After that, I'll be either processing the data in the lab, so uh, looking under a microscope at these samples and categorizing the plastic. Um, but then I also spend a lot of time analyzing data that other people have gathered. So I do spend a lot of time coding and analyzing data and uh, reading papers to try and get the bigger picture of what I'm studying. Um, and then I would say a small percentage of my time is also spent uh, communicating the results. So going to conferences, presenting posters or doing talks. Um, yeah. Oh, that sounds like such a busy life. Yeah. Um, and speaking of communicating your results in along those lines, what do you see as like the outcome of your PhD? Like, do you think you'll be able to fix anything in the world? And if so, like what? Yeah, it's it's quite a difficult question and I often ask myself that, what is the point of what I'm doing? And I want to do something that's not just for the sake of it, that is actually going to have an impact. Um, so I think for one of the the questions of, about where the plastic comes from, I think that's the, the element of my research that will have the most tangible impact because we can take this data to the big brands that we find. We can find a way of working with businesses to reduce their impact, uh, see if there's any collaborative solutions that we can come up with. But um, I'm also hoping that my data collection and analysis regarding the manta ray will help protect this really important species. Uh, It's a bit more difficult when it comes to plastic pollution because it doesn't respect the boundaries of a country or of a protected area, for example. Uh, It'll just drift wherever the currents takes it. But hopefully by understanding more about the risks to to animals will help people use less plastic in general because it's such a charismatic species that it can be a flagship way of reducing plastic um, pollution. And it will also help people who depend on these species for their livelihoods. So for tourism, for example, help them to understand what the potential risk is and then mitigate that in terms of their own financial um, livelihoods. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Big impact. Big impact, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything I can do in my life that could help? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's hard to think about what you can do as a individual because it's such a big problem that you think what what is what I do how is that going to help at all um but there's lots of ways you can reduce your own single use plastic um consumption by using reusable bottles reusable uh, cups cutlery etc and just saying no to plastic bags and that sort of thing 
Um, there's loads of new brands that have started doing eco-cosmetics and plastic-free cosmetics, which is something to look into. Like, for example, I have very sensitive skin and I, it took me a very, very long time to look for um, things that suited me. But there's so many brands now, it's kind of a trial and error process. Um, you could also write to your local council, see if they've got any initiatives going on that you could get involved in. Um, and then there's a lot of charities as well that organize beach cleans or uh, debris collections that you could uh, try and see if in your local area there's anything you want to join too. Sounds great. I'll definitely get on that. Did you always know that research was something you wanted to do? Not really, actually. I, I remember leaving school thinking, I love maths and physics, so I'm going to go and study that at university. And I did. And then I changed my route to something a bit more applied. So I did a master's in uh, tropical biology and I used the, my maths knowledge quite a lot there. But then after my master's, I wasn't really too sure what I wanted to do. And I didn't feel like I'd found a topic that I was passionate enough about that I wanted to study it for the next three years. Uh, so I kind of applied for loads of different jobs with the hope that one would stick and then ended up working for four years in a completely unrelated field in the corporate world and then really, really missed science. And I feel like me stepping away from research for a few years made me miss it and realize that actually that is what I wanted to do. So yeah, now I'm, I just reached out to lots of supervisors and said, what, what have you got going on that I could get involved in? And here we are. Amazing. Um, so was it hard to move from maths to biology? Um, it was a, a bit of a learning curve in terms of the knowledge and the content compared to some of my classmates who'd already studied a lot of the content. But I would say in science, there's a lot of transferable skills anyway. So, you know, when you develop a, a hypothesis and then try and answer questions and the scientific method itself is transferable. And it also helps to have a good foundation in maths to do a lot of the analysis that I'm doing now. So I, I feel like it helps. Um, as long as you're happy to put in a few more hours to learn the things that you've missed out on from not doing biology. Yeah. And like you say, you probably save hours from not having to learn the maths. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, when you're doing a PhD, um, you're so specialized anyway that nobody's going to know everything from their own PhD when they start. Um, it's You're still going to be learning anyway. So it's, it doesn't really matter at that stage. Yeah. What, what subjects you studied. Yeah. So... What's your favorite thing about doing a PhD? My favorite thing about doing a PhD is how exciting and interesting the research around my area is. And it's something that I was already quite passionate about in my personal life, even before starting. So I feel like the topic that I'm studying is like really perfect for me. But I also like how flexible and independent it is. And I get to choose what questions I want to answer, what methods I want to use, um, who I want to collaborate with when and where I work. I just really love how flexible it is and how exciting it is. Great. I um, <laughs> don't know if that sounds really cheesy. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. <laughs> you should enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Um, if you had one piece of advice, since you're someone who loves your PhD so yeah, much, yeah. what's one piece of advice you would give to someone considering doing a PhD? Yeah, um, I've actually got kind of two pieces of advice. The first one would be study what you, you enjoy the most and things will naturally fall into place uh, rather than studying something you feel like you have to know and then you'll just not enjoy what you're doing and end up looking for another job anyway. Um, and then the, what I was saying earlier of the fact that you don't have to know everything about your topic for you, when you start. So people feel like they're not an expert in 
say, marine biology, so they can't apply for a PhD in marine biology, when actually you will spend most of your PhD learning about your own topic. So it doesn't matter if you don't know everything <laughs> from the start. Yeah. Okay, well, to throw you on the spot and give oh, you no. the question that everyone hates, what is your favourite fact that you've learned while doing your PhD? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I Yeah. I've got two facts, and they're about the manta rays rather than the plastic element. Um, so manta rays, when they're born, come out as little burritos with their wings wrapped around them, and they're really cute. And if you Google pictures of baby manta rays, they are very sweet. That sounds so um, adorable. Yeah, and and I also learned that I, I didn't actually realise how smart and um, sentient they were. So they There's been studies um, that show that they can recognise themselves in a mirror uh, where they look at themselves and like sort of check themselves to see, to make sure that it is actually them and they also swim up to divers if they're entangled there's been lots of anecdotal stories of them swimming up to divers um to, like to ask for help essentially when they're entangled so they are so clever which makes it even more important to protect them absolutely <laughs> let's save the manta rays yeah <laughs> well thank you so much yeah it's you're been... very welcome it's been really fun that's it for this episode thanks again to jessica savage for coming in to talk to me Please leave us a rating and a review to let us know what you thought and help more people discover the podcast. And if you want more science content, head to rigv.org for talks, live streams, blogs, and even more. Mm-hmm.